0: puzzling at first read, don't quite know how to put it together, where it fits, uh, what to do with it. (laughs) Um, But uh, just to kind of bring uh, it full circle to what I was talking about before, I was actually um, quite inspired by a conversation I had with Andrew Bethlehem in one of our prayer groups at Salamanca, um, where he was referring to this particular passage as something where he got convicted about uh, evangelism, uh, and, and using what God gives us creatively to reach others. Uh, so I figured I should probably do a talk on it at some point. So uh, yeah, that, that's what kind of inspired this. And uh, yeah, it was part of an, initially a series I did uh, at my home church, some of these Christian church, uh, the ABCs of evangelism we called it. And uh, this one is in the middle, B, being creative with what God gives us. Uh, the other ones were uh, contextualising the gospel uh, and actually talking about Jesus. So yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll uh, come back and do those talks at some point later uh, in the future as well, the other, the other missing parts of that series. Anyway, uh, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get into this passage for today. Father in heaven, uh, we are so thankful for the work and life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, the new life that he gives us by uh, your Spirit and Lord, uh, we know that with that comes an obligation, uh, but also the exciting opportunity to partake in Your mission together. And Lord, please help us in that space, wherever we are, the context that we find ourselves in, to be uh, yeah creative in the way that we go about sharing Your love, the conversations that we have, uh, the way that we treat people, uh, the way that we conduct ourselves. Help us to be people that reflect the love and life of Christ and help us to to walk in ways that surprise people uh, in all the best possible ways, uh, in ways that prompt questions, in ways that make people do a double take of everything that they thought they knew about Christianity. And Lord, we pray that uh, today as we jump into this passage, um, that you'll be teaching us new things and helping us to, to live more as Jesus intends us to live. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So one of my uh, favourite shows over the last 20 years uh, was undoubtedly The American Office. Are there many people here that have either seen that or the British version? Can I get a quick show of hands? Okay, Mostly blank stares, but a few hands, so uh, (laughs) let me uh, explain a bit of it. Um, It's a pretty straightforward story, it's uh, like a kind of mockumentary style uh, TV series kind of showing the the everyday life of a typical paper company in, uh, in both Britain and then later there was an American version. So the British version went for a few series. Uh, I was initially a purist who I only liked the British one because that was the original one and the best. But uh, eventually the American one won me over uh, as it kind of took on... Uh, it, Went in its own direction, started to kind of flesh out the characters in their own unique ways. Uh, And yeah, it was a very enjoyable, very funny series, so if you haven't seen it, The American Office is definitely one to uh, check out. And uh, there was one particular episode that I always enjoyed, which was uh, the garage sale episode. Um, So you can see there in the picture. Uh, it gives a little bit of what happens there. But anyway, the whole office, they decide to pack their warehouse with their mystery products, their junk and their trinkets as some sort of fundraiser. It's never particularly clear what they're raising money for, but that's not the point of the episode anyway. Uh, But you've got Dwight, who's there in picture, and uh, he is this industrious larrikin with an insatiable need to prove his mettle. And he promises that through the art of the swap, as he calls it, he will turn... A tiny red thumbtack into the finest item for sale in the entire garage sale. And uh, the red thumbtack is a homage to something which came to be known as the paperclip game. So in 2005, there was a Canadian blogger and he decided to run a little experiment. He put an ad for a single red paperclip. I think we've got a look, yep. (laughs) In case you don't know what a red paperclip is, there's a picture. Uh, But he put it on Craigslist to see what he could get for it in a trade. Uh, And yeah, his first trade was someone gave him a pen shaped like a fish for it, and then he went on to trade that pen for a custom-made doorknob, and on and on and on it went. And eventually, after about a year and 14 trades, he had traded his way up to this, a house. (laughs) So it's an incredible story of ingenuity, resourcefulness, and dare I say it, shrewdness to turn not much into a place that he could actually live in. Um, He'd have this place of security, a place he could call home, a place that he could even invite others into, much more than the humble paperclip. And uh, it's the kind of -of out-of-the-box thinking that some people would condemn uh, as like an abuse or predatory or something like that, but others would would marvel at and and applaud, like you just got to clap and marvel at what they were able to do. And in a funny way... I think that's what the gospel is calling us to in the way that we live our lives. We see it particularly in this parable, the parable of the shrewd manager, which we read earlier, but we also see it sprinkled throughout the pages of scripture, these creative ways of sharing God's love and his message. So we'll spend some time thinking about evangelism in the context of of everyday life, but also in our unique circumstances. Now, I'm not particularly into methods and presentations and tracks and those things. They, they certainly have their place, and historically they've had a big impact. But I think, and there's, there's certainly there's, there's biblical warrant for doing evangelism in those sorts of ways, but I think as well, one thing that often gets overlooked is that the relational, creative way of, of living lives as well. Uh, we're very easy to kind of go with the, the trusted method rather than the thing that God is, is putting in front of us in our own circumstances. So that's a bit of what I want to think about, uh, the relational side. For most people, our primary mission field will be our friends, our family, the people we rub shoulders with, won't it? The people that we, have, that we work with, that we study with, our neighbourhoods. It's that kind of highly relational and longer-term conversations that are taking place in our lives. The sort of context we, where people see us live every day and that will weigh up the credibility of our faith by the way that we live and by the way that we treat them. And this probably sounds daunting, terrifying even, but at the same time, I hope it's also kind of thrilling too and a really exciting thing to be able to, to do, to live with people for a long period of time and to let the gospel unfold through your life. And what's more, we have cause for optimism. And I want to say that that God will open doors when we love the light, when we love people, and we love life itself. So God will open doors when we love the light, love people, and love life itself. So let's get into today's talk, and the first first thing I want to talk about is the way that we conduct ourselves uh, morally, and that is that we should be people that walk the walk and talk the talk. This is such a massive part of Scripture, isn't it? And there's a reason that Christians used to be known as moral do-gooders. Because it's what faith should look like, isn't it? Simply being a Christian in the wild, a real-life Christian, will give us opportunities. But it's dependent on actually showing moral fortitude in the way that we conduct ourselves. Being people of integrity. Think of the the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. Faith is meant to express itself in action and good deeds in the way that we care for people. Or look at um, 1 John 1. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, of course, we don't do good to earn our salvation or to earn peace with God, of course not. Rather, it's a reflection of what God has already earned for us in the cross. But faith is meant to be lived out. So what does this look like? Well, it means not doing the wrong thing, for a start. Being above reproach. It's a common phrase in Scripture. To not be hypocritical. And one of the most common reasons given for why people walk away from faith or never seriously consider it in the first place, is when faith seems to make no difference in people's lives. When Christians act just like everyone else, if not worse than everyone else in culture. When our worst impulses are enabled. And unfortunately, that can be true sometimes. Historically, Christians haven't always covered themselves in a blaze of glory. So we can't let our moral life undermine our credibility when it comes to to existential conversations and questions. We want people to think that holiness is possible rather than some kind of facade, and that Jesus is worth following wholeheartedly, even when it costs us, not just when it's convenient. And one of the, the tricky things is that being a Christian will at times clash hard with our culture. Some things just won't be seen eye to eye which will likely become even more prevalent as society moves away from institutional religion. Sometimes you'll get accused of things, just like in the passage that we read earlier, which I'll encourage you to to turn back to now if you haven't got it open. In verse 1, a rich man accuses his manager of wasting his possessions. Now, it's interesting to note that the, the boss there, he's given the title of rich man, not something Luke typically speaks positively about, if you've been following the Gospel of Luke much. In uh, Luke six, he says, "Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort." Or in Luke twelve, Jesus says, "A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions," and then goes on to talk about the parable of the rich fool, who has this overflowing crop of barn, uh, barn full of crops, and he decides to rip down his barn to make a bigger one, and then uh, Jesus says, of course, "You fool." and that night his life is demanded of him. Or Luke chapter 16, we've got the famous story of Lazarus, and once again, Lazarus and the rich man. Now, I could give heaps more examples just from Luke, let alone the entire Bible. And all this is to say is that immediately when we hear the rich man, this guy should be a bit sus in our minds. And when he's accusing the manager of wasting his possessions, there may be some ulterior motives here. Maybe this is not the full story. Maybe the accusation isn't fair. Maybe the manager has actually been conducting himself well, with integrity in the way he treats his clients, rather than just ripping them off and getting them at the maximum dollar. Now, I'm just speculating, of course, but it's worth pondering in the context of Luke. Just because the manager is accused of wrongdoing doesn't mean he's actually done the wrong thing. And this is something that will happen to Christians. And this is obviously a massive theme in the book of 1 Peter. I think I've got a, a verse we can read on the screen there. It says, It This is from chapter 2, verses 11-12 in 1 Peter. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong... They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So accusations should be a normal part of life for a Christian that's living out their faith. We obviously need to be above reproach, and those accusations shouldn't be fair, unless it's something that, uh, where the gospel clashes with culture, of course. But we want to operate differently to the world's shortcuts and incentive structures. We want to, rather than doing the wrong thing, we want to actually be doing the right thing. Doing the right thing when the conforming heat of culture is making you sweat a bit. Not only are people to see a faith free of hypocrisy, but we're to be a light. That's how Jesus talks about it in Matthew 5, isn't it? Being salt and light. Being whatever it is that salt does and being a guide in the darkness. I know with salt, it's a preservative. It brings out the flavour of what's already there. It's an essential, uh, essential ingredient for bland food like potatoes. But to be known as a Christian who is kind, approachable, patient, generous, wise, honest, sober, noble, virtuous, interested in others, and fair dinkum about our faith that's what we want to be. So much of the Bible is about glorifying God with our lives, and yet, an important byproduct of that is that people see what's happening. They see what's going on in your life. They see that maybe faith does make a difference. Maybe it does give that inner peace or whatever it is is those religious people talk about. And maybe I want that too. Maybe they'll see the person of Christ at work in us when we follow him. And maybe it will beg questions in their own life too. And so we should live lives that prompt questions. Probably the most famous verse when it comes to evangelism is 1 Peter 3.15. I'm sure you guys know it. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Doing it, of course, with gentleness and respect. Sometimes it's worth pondering, do I get asked questions as a Christian because of my faith? Is my life prompting them or is there other factors that I get asked about? Now, I don't know about you, but I've been asked uh, personally about swearing, drinking, celibacy. Someone thought that I was going to become a Catholic priest um, at some point. Uh, I've been asked about like, science, how science and faith interact, uh, donating to charity, pornography, uh, other religions, politics, philosophy, hell, uh, what we actually do at church. Have you been asked about that? <laughs> uh, whether doing a, a, a Masters of Divinity at Bible College is the same thing as Harry Potter school. But I've also uh, been called the poster boy for Christianity in one of my workplaces, which was a lovely compliment, I think. Uh, Another person once said that I'm one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. They're, of course, demonstrably false, but, uh, yeah, that's not true. But um, (laughs) what do you get asked? What do you get asked in your personal life? And over time, when your Christianity makes a difference in your life, you'll get asked about it, I think. It might be sarcastic or tongue-in-cheek to start with, but maybe it will be exactly what someone is looking for, and your life will be their starting point. And it's a privilege to be that person in someone's life. We tend to think that everyone around us has their lives together, that they're living their dream, that they're comfortable, that they have no issues, and that Not being a Christian is super easy, and but no, it's it's not like that. People are hurting everywhere, and Christianity genuinely has something to offer people. Many people have massive questions. Even if they're afraid of finding out the answers, people still have those questions nagging at them. A couple of years ago, MacRindle Research put out some interesting data about the impact that COVID was having on Australian spirituality. The headline was, COVID-19, deepening the inner life of Australians. And here's a quote. While Australians are not known for being self-reflective, this research shows that the current context is creating a more contemplative mood. Almost uh, one in two Australians have thought about their mortality more. So 47%. So more... uh, Somewhat, slightly, or or a lot. Uh, With a similar proportion, 47%, thinking about the meaning of life more, and 3 in 10, 33%, having thought about God more during the experience of COVID-19. The pandemic is increasing faith activities in Australia, with one in four Aussies engaging in more, uh, spiritual conversations, 26%, and praying more, 28%. Uh, As part of the conference yesterday, we had uh, one of the people from McCrindle Research as well giving some very recent stats, and uh, they were saying that uh, in terms of the general mood of faith in Australia, uh, it's only around 24% of people that are cold to Christianity and only 6% of people that are actively hostile to Christianity and faith. So it's actually three out of four people will be interested in some way (laughs) rather than being completely closed. So that, I don't know about you, but that's surprising and that is uh, a reason for optimism and confidence and to, to just give things a go because people are way more interested than we tend to think they are, especially young people, Gen Zers in particular. Both MacRindle uh, Research and the National Church Life Survey are finding that the younger demographics are more open and boomers are actually the the, the most closed generation at the moment. See, people are hungry for spiritual conversations and we tend to think that young people just aren't interested at all, but it's the the complete opposite. We We need to change our thinking there. And it's important to note as well That if we're not there, if we're not providing uh, their fill of spiritual conversations when they're hungry, well, if they can't turn to you, they're going to turn to someone else, aren't they? They're going to turn to Dr. Google, or should I say, uh, priest Google, prophet Google, rabbi Google, imam Google, cult leader Google, whatever it is. And so we need to live lives that prompt questions. And we can be the people that answer those questions too. But even more than that, We want to be people that invest in relational capital. People that are investing in relational capital. And this means finding ways to connect with people as well. Jumping back into the parable there of the shrewd manager, let's take a look at the manager himself. So he finds himself in a pickle, and uh, he realizes that he's got to move quickly if he's going to rebound from his short-lived accounting career. In verse 4, he says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So what does he do? He cuts some deals, he gives some discounts, he wins favour, and he gets the big boss something rather than nothing. Presumably these people in debt were struggling to pay it off. Maybe they never intended to. Who knows? But the manager, he senses the moment and he realises he can create a win-win-win scenario and that this can bank some goodwill for future favours. And it's worth asking ourselves, do we have people that we can lean on in times of adversity? Have we built up that relational capital? Do we use what God gives us creatively to connect with people in meaningful ways, in ways that move the relationship forward, that build trust that you can lean on in hard times? Can they lean on us in hard times? In verse 9, Jesus says, I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So we need to be using our wealth, our talents to mix the parable, our skills, our positions, our circumstances to form deep relationships and connections. So let's use our wealth with eternity in mind, especially as it's all God's wealth anyway, isn't it? But the language that Jesus repeatedly uses here is trust. Trust is what builds the connections, and the breakdown of trust is what leads to this manager's firing, whether or not it was justified. Jesus says in verse 10 Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Now, this applies to financial matters and business dealings, but it especially applies to relationships. Are we able to keep secrets? Are we able to be a listening ear and be someone who remembers the important details? How do we speak of our friends publicly and behind closed doors for that matter? God is asking us, are we trustworthy? Are we faithfully using what we have to build connections and trust? The master commends the dishonest manager, and here we get a glimpse that maybe he wasn't such a good guy. But he's commended for being creative with what he had to connect with people and shore up his future. We as Christians, we've been given so much, and yet we often lack that creative spark, don't we? That outside-the-box thinking required to be welcomed by our world. Now, sure, the world will rarely be a welcoming place, but we're still expected to be in it, aren't we? To participate in it. To rub shoulders with those around us, to be all things to all men, to reach the marketplace and the leper colony, as Christians were to be everywhere. And this means finding ways to surprise people with love and kindness. Last year, I read a book called Culture Care by uh, Makoto Fujimura. He's a uh, a Japanese artist who lives in New York, and um, he's a Christian as well. and um, It's a book all about using creativity as a force for connection and community. And he has this chapter uh, called Leadership from the Margins. And he talks about an old English word called miakstapis, which can be translated as border stalker, a border stalker. And it's about people that can live between worlds, live uh, on the edges of their groups and different societies and subcultures and groups, that sort of thing. And uh, the, the kind of example he uses is Strider from Lord of the Rings. Uh, as this kind of archetypal figure uh, representing what he means. He's able to unite diverse people and winsomely lead when hope is in short supply. Now, Fujimori uses this to talk of artists and the the prophetic role that they can play in culture-making. But really, I think as evangelists, we're called to be stalkers. As Christians, we're all kind of called to to be in this space, I think. To seamlessly be able to build connections across cultural lines and yet being custodians and, and leaders with what God gives us to speak into the world in surprising ways, making people second-guess everything they thought they knew about Christianity. And this is what we do, this is what we can do when we show love and kindness in creative ways. What does it mean? Well, I mean, practically it could be inviting people around to your house getting alongside that person that is on the margins, that's having a hard time, that doesn't fit in in your your workplace or your group. Don't just wait for the perfect conversation with those long-term friends or family. I mean, the pressure is just way too high. (laughs) The conversation will probably never happen. Maybe look to your more casual connections. Take time to listen to their story. Remember their birthday and their kids' names. Be generous with your money. Take them out for, for lunch on your work break. Buy people gifts sometimes particularly for those milestones that don't tend to get recognition. Offer to babysit or, for some people, do family holidays together. Support them in their struggles and their joys. Get to know your physical neighbours. Reach out to people that you've connected well with in the past. Be the family in the local community that offers to run things and is the glue of the community. Host dinner parties. Invite a mix of Christians and non-Christians to it. Show interest in their interests. Go to things you wouldn't normally go to with them, whether it's an art exhibition or a dark mofo gig, anything that might deepen the conversations and the relationships. There are so many opportunities. And these are things that might require us adjusting our commitments, building margin into our lifestyles or our budgets. They're things that we might need to write down or plan for or pop as a reminder into our phone for a later date. And sure, no one can do all of these things, but we can do some of these things. And if we're all doing, all playing our part, that can have tremendous reach. And we can encourage others with the, those little things that we are giving a go. Hopefully as people and churches try different things, we can get the, the creative juices flowing together. I mean, think about some of the other the, the other churches in the network here. I always find it really encouraging hearing what the, the different Reformed churches are doing around the, the, the channel and around the state. Um, and that can be really exciting. You can kind of borrow ideas. I was talking with someone the other day that there's, there's no IP in um, Christian churches. You can take what other people are doing and you're not going to get sued for copyright. It's all for, for God's glory and the kingdom. So here at the, the Christian Reformed Church of Kingston, you guys have some tremendous opportunities coming up with the... Um, the the building works going on and the the idea of what that could do for the community. I'm really excited to see what happens with it, seeing if there are imaginative uh, events and ministries and services that you guys might do. And sure, it'll take time and planning and money and effort, but if you have the ideas and the skills and the means to do something interesting, well, you should. What a great opportunity that God is giving you guys. And who knows, it might just work. It might just connect with the, with the, the wider Kingbra community. And I think it starts with surprising people with those simple acts of love, kindness, and generosity. But it also involves prayer and finding ways to pray for people regularly. Whether it's um, working it into your daily routines or doing it in group settings, I'd encourage everyone to be part of an intentional evangelistic community. So I've talked a lot, of, of course, about the evangelistic prayer teams, where we we do that at City Bible Forum as a way to create those evangelistic communities, but it can be done in other places too. Maybe a Bible study group. There can be a bit more of an emphasis on praying for those people that don't know Christ. Now, it could be, as I said, in those, those groups, maybe it's a, an occasional thing, it's It's probably not the default of of something like a Bible study group, but it's the sort of thing that you can just pivot a little bit, and over time, it can work. But maybe as well, there are different parachurch ministries and organisations that can help you with that. For students here, there's the the AFES groups, the the University Fellowship of Christians here, and Focus and Subbies. Uh, Yeah, obviously for workers, there's City Bible Forum, but there are all sorts of different groups that are specialised to help you as a Christian uh, and to to help be on mission together. And yeah, at City Bible Forum, of course, we'd love to help make make that happen for you in the workplace. So find those places where you can share your struggles and the small victories in your particular context. I think it's so important to be be talking about those things, how we're going um, in in loving others and, and sharing God's love. Jesus tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Or it says in the Gospels to pray for the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send out workers into the harvest. That's not just ministry workers, of course. It's you and the person sitting next to you as well. Going out into the world, going out into our local communities, wherever we are. In John chapter 17, 9, Jesus prays for those that will come to know him in the future. Or in Acts 18, Paul has a vision or a dream where God tells him to go on speaking because he has many people in that city. Possibly referring to people that will be saved by the gospel being proclaimed. And it's probably the same for us. We need to be praying for those people that will turn, that will be warm, that will be hungry for something more than what they have at the moment. And the gospel can offer them that. You never know who's going to respond to the good news, especially when prayer is such a feature of uh, everyday life like it is in the book of Acts? What if that was us in, in the Tasmanian Christian community, that we were known for, for the way that we pray as a community of believers? Think of um, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Pray that the doors will be opened, being watchful and thankful, it says. Seeming to imply this kind of incremental journey for many people. Not these kind of dramatic conversion events after one conversation, but being watchful, seeing the signs when people are becoming more open and regularly giving thanks for just those tiny steps of progress, being watchful and thankful. So I want to urge you to find other Christians where you can pray for the people in your life regularly. Not just every six months or whenever it comes to mind, but every week, every day even. It's amazing how when we pray regularly and intentionally, God not only inspires us to action, but the opportunities just start flooding in as well. And we can regularly give thanks for what God is doing in our lives. Which brings us to the last point. We can be people that live life to the full, be someone that lives life to the full. In John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And he promises us life to the full. So there's kind of an obligation for us to live that out, isn't there? And I want to suggest just three quick ways that we can do that as we draw to a close. And those are, one, being thankful for your circumstances, two, being thankful for God's abundance and creativity, and three, being thankful for the people that God puts in your life. What does this have to do with evangelism? Well, everything. As Christians, our go-to characteristic should be gratitude, I think. It's one of the key things that separates us from the world, I think, and and the other world religions. We believe God to be scandalously generous, lavish, and merciful, don't we? Life is a gift that we can celebrate and cherish as believers, eagerly looking forward to life 2.0 in eternity, or eternal dwellings, as the passage says. And so this spirit of gratitude ought to shape our lives and our faculties too being part of our story and visible to the naked eye. So being thankful in our circumstances, um, Philippians 4:11. Paul talks about learning to be content in all circumstances. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There should be like a a steadiness about us as we navigate changing circumstances. This doesn't mean it'll always be easy, but we can always be thankful, can't we? No matter how dire things get. Whether it's being thankful for our family, our church, our job, our home, our country, our friends, our opportunities in life, our life as a Christian, our hope and our future that we look forward to. So many things to be thankful for. And being someone that loves life will now make a difference to people. People will see that. Even when it's hard, even when there are dark times and places we go to, knowing that we have the tools to actually counter that and to have hope in the, the midst of despair. That's something that makes a difference. And naturally, being a thankful person will not only help us, but it will enable us to help others too when we can genuinely comfort others in hard times. We can be thankful for God's abundance and creativity. Now, it's all right to enjoy things that are beautiful, and it's fitting. We should do that, whether it's a haunting piece of music, uh, an impressionist painting, or a cracking good novel, whatever it is that your hobbies are that you're thankful for, that you find enjoyment in. Um, And I think in historically reformed um, kind of Protestant circles, we haven't been particularly good at appreciating beauty and wonder in life. So I thought I'd give some key passages here just to get us thinking, uh, if that's something that you haven't given much thought to. Um, 1 Timothy 4, verses 4 to 5 says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. James 1, verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Colossians 3 verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 31 to 33, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage but that of many that they may be saved. So what does all this mean? Well, it means pursue your hobbies, your creative impulses. Watch your favorite TV shows. Explore nature. Drink that fine wine or whiskey. Bake delicious food and then drop it off at my house. Enjoy the world that God has made while giving him thanks for those things that you cherish. You see, there's a difference between loving the world and loving life as a gift. It's that Ecclesiastes frame where, where life can be either that, that, that kind of thing where you continually seek to gain from it and you get crushed when you don't get it, or when it's a gift from God, something to be enjoyed at the right time, in the right season. So it's good to have hobbies, to have downtime, to have interest, things that recharge the battery and give you rest, enjoyment and satisfaction. But then also do them in the context of community. Join that band or that sports team, that philosophy or chess club, that dance ensemble or theatre production, that bushwalk, bush, uh, sorry, let me say it again, that bushwalking adventure group, or that board games get together. Whatever it is that God puts on your heart in your life gives you enjoyment from, you can do that with other people. Maybe there are even things that can be done in a church context out of this very building catering to people's passions and things that they enjoy. There are almost infinite possibilities, but really, we should expect nothing less from the infinite, creative, and generous God. We can be thankful for God's creativity and abundance, and we can harness it, use it, tap into it. And lastly, we can be thankful for the people that God puts in our lives. So maybe let your friends and your colleagues know that they're special to you. Find ways to show that you appreciate them. Give thanks to God for them regularly, as Paul does throughout his letters with the people that are special to him. And talk to them about real stuff, including the gospel. When we see people as living souls made in the image of God and a gift to us rather than a burden, it can radically change the way that we treat them. And so it should. So it should. It's the people that so often make life special for us, isn't it? We can find great enjoyment from our hobbies and the the things that we enjoy, but it's even better when we do it in community with other people. So let's embrace creative ways of sharing our faith together. Being creative isn't about turning everyone into artists or poets or entrepreneurs. It's about utilising the things already present in our lives in thoughtful and intentional ways maximising the things that we're naturally drawn to to connect with others in ways that are meaningful. So let's embrace the role of being border stalkers. I shared before the archetypal character Strider from Lord of the Rings and uh, only really gave half the picture there. If you've watched the movies, which were like 20 years ago, um, Strider is so much more than a shadowy figure on the margins. He later uh, ushers in a kingdom, doesn't he? He's of course crowned and is the central figure in that new and redeemed kingdom. And Tolkien, of course, is using him as a picture of Christ, who will usher in his own kingdom, vastly better than anything we can imagine, and who welcomes everyone into his eternal dwelling. And so we can be that picture of Christ, inviting people into his kingdom. There's room for the people in our cities, our workplaces, our networks, our social circles. We just need to creatively cut through the cluttered noise of modern life to help people hear God's tender voice. But the reality is that we're trading with house money dream of, and promises a room, a place, and love life. We can help people dream that little bit bigger. So let's, start. let's pray about these things together. We are so thankful to be invited to your kingdom through the blood of Christ. hard now. We know that the future. But help us to think about the now, the things, and help us to do this in ways. Your charity and your beauty, Lord, help us to be those people, those creative types. Help us to be a creative community and creative people that share the gospel in ways that excite, intrigue, surprise. Uh, yeah, help us to be uh, those people. And, and Lord, we pray for the people in our lives, whether it's our colleagues, our friends, our family members. Uh, those that have walked away from you perhaps, those that have never known you in the first place. Lord, may we uh, be a light to those people in our lives that are precious to us. And we pray that you'll welcome them into, into eternity one day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.